in the mental health field too often. We've made it seem as if it's just in your head. Just in your head. The landlord can hijack the rent by 20%. That impacts people's mental health. We can have a profit-driven mental health care system if we want our people to be connected and healthy. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to It's Not Just In Your Head, a podcast about how the capitalist economic system we live in affects our mental health. My name is Max Golding, LMFT in California. Harriet, who are you? I am Harriet Fraud, or Dr. Harriet Fraud, if you want to give a title. <laughs> a, a, a hypnotherapist, mental health counselor in private practice in New York City, and also an activist in so many things. And today we're going to be talking about Biden's infrastructure bill and some critiques that um, Harriet in particular has to kind of redirect this conversation toward what kind of economy we should have uh, based on a phrase that some might call a, a caring economy. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into that in just a moment. But um, first, just we want to give a big shout out to our patrons first winter, Sarah Turner, Rebecca Johns, Justin Harper, and also Liam, because he is just um, amazing. He does all our editing and social, social media, which is a lot of work. Um, so thank you, um, all the patrons who are like supporting so that he gets some compensation for that. And then also uh, just a quick announcement on something that it, this is patrons only and it's not patrons only so that we can be like a pay to play ex exclusive elitist club, but it's a, our first ever reading group for the patrons as a sort of, um, a per we're trying to make sure that we're actually having perks for patrons so that they feel like, you know, um, they're, I don't know, we're all kind of in it together as a family kind of thing. And um, the reading group is next Friday, April 23rd at noon was that my time? That's Pacific. That's Pacific yeah, time. We better say <laughs> it's noon Pacific time. It's uh, 3 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. And it's actually about the article that's the foundation for our discussion today, which is an article by The Hill that's about Biden's infrastructure bill and why a more caring economy emphasis um, could have and maybe still could make the infrastructure bill far stronger. Um, and so we're going to discuss that with a bunch of our patrons. It's our first ever reading group, and we want to start kind of normalizing doing the reading groups with folks. Um, and I guess that's it. That's the announcement. So if you want to join the reading group, become a patron. <laughs> it feels so weird to say that, but I yeah. guess we want to make sure Liam gets compensated for the, the editing yes, and stuff. We do. So. We do, um, and we are in a capitalist system, and we have to survive. Yeah. You know, it's not like we have state compensation for all these creative efforts. No way. So yeah, yeah. So there we go. Um, okay. So there's the little housekeeping pitch thing for the beginning. And um, but yeah. So I mean, I'm really excited about this, Harriet. I haven't looked into this nearly as much as you have. It seems like you've spent a lot of, mm. I mean, years or maybe decades of study into this yeah. topic generally. And then it, and then with the Hill article that you sent me, and we'll put it in the link description for folks to read. Um, that it's it seems even more important now than ever, especially because of the pandemic and these um, discussions about quote unquote essential workers. And now that there's actually this infrastructure bill on the table to talk about like kind of rebuilding the economy in a lot of ways and creating like millions of new jobs, there's a lot that's been left out. Um, and so I think you should just take it and kind of just yeah. educate us a little bit about this and, and offer your critiques and opinions. I would like to because mental health work is one of those ways of caring that is so socially stratified. Psychiatrists get about six or seven times what a social worker gets, and they hardly talk to people anymore. They're just psychopharmacologists 
who meet out pills. That's obviously not so caring, particularly since research has indicated that often these pills just have side effects and over the long term usurp the brain's ability to care for itself and the therapy itself changes the brain. So that, you know, our priorities even in our field of mental health are quite bizarre and capitalistically shaped. One of the things that Biden's infrastructure bill includes is $400 billion for what was never before considered infrastructure, but is basically the infrastructure that holds up all of our lives, a caring economy, beginning, of course, at birth. We all know if we're in the mental health field, we know about the symptom of failure to thrive. If babies aren't picked up and talked to and cooed to and held, they don't develop. They, they die after a while. They don't learn to sit up, to stand up, to eat properly, to lift up their heads. It's very sad because human beings need affection. They need caring in order to survive. And we all need that. It's remarkable to me, as I did a small study over several months of mass killings, which are burgeoning in our uncaring economy, Every person, every man, because they're overwhelmingly white man, men, who was involved in a mass killing had either been abandoned by a lover or had been betrayed by a lover or who had lost a job or all of those things because the markers of masculine masculinity have been for many men that I am a man because I have a job and I have a woman as my semi-possession and the one who takes care of me emotionally. And that emotional caring is at once celebrated in the right-wing propaganda of country and Western music, which is includes quite a bit of right-wing popular um, right-wing propaganda put to music about how wonderful women are, but of course you never think of paying them or giving them maternity leaves or giving them childcare allowances or giving family vacation times or all those other things. So that we have really devalued what has been primarily women's labor. That's why 12 million women dropped out of the labor force with this pandemic because they had to go home and take care of their kids. And they had to be home even if often their husbands were abusive and they couldn't escape, but they had to be home because somebody had to take care of the children. Somebody had to do the caring labor and women were assigned by gender. Now, I think that Biden's infrastructure plan, which includes caring labor, child care, after school care, summer care, and um, domestic labor care, the people who clean things up, who organize things, who make them possible. In a hospital, the doctors get paid obscenely, in my view, while nurses' aides who make it all possible 
while the orderlies who wheel you around, while the pe- to the operation and back, while the people who kept clean that hospital because people would die if it were filthy, are not even recognized, no less decently paid. So that Biden's mention and introduction of the importance of carrying labor to the instruct to survival and to the infrastructure is very important. He got this idea from socialist labor prime minister Jacinda Ardern, who did that for New Zealand. She was concerned that the jobs in caring for people and domestic labor were mainly held by Maori and other island women who were part of the indigenous and displaced population of New Zealand and got the worst salaries. And they got the worst salaries because they did the jobs usually identified with women, taking care of people, cleaning up after people, watching children, doing emotional labor. And what she did is something more advanced, I think, in many ways than because it's really worked out, she actually put it into practice, is she compared women's labor to the labor of well-paid men and compared the skills, because in spite of the women's movement being around the second wave since 1968, we never did outline what is women's labor and what is its value. And in our country where you've got to put your money where your mouth is, Our money hasn't been on caring labor or on domestic labor either. And so it's most important what Biden did, accepting Jacinda Ardern's initiative, but calling it infrastructure, what basically is the structure on which all of our lives depend, initially as babies and then later as adults. They depend on people cleaning, preparing food, making us feel better, comforting us, all of those things that have been devalued quite literally. And Biden says that women who are doing childcare labor in preschool, in daycare, in infant care, should get reasonable salaries. They should be paid the way teachers are. And that is an important initiative. It's an initiative accepted from France where daycare teachers and child um, education is for everyone in France and is universal, 100%, starting at three years old. And their teachers get paid the same scale as an elementary or middle school or high school teacher gets which is fair. So that Biden's initiative is really important because it redefines women's labor as valuable and crucial to survival. It gives it a place of honor and a place and an economic place. I should mention that right now, daycare workers get paid less well than parking attendants. So someone watching your car gets more money than someone caring for your child, which is rather obscene. 
And there's, of course, big class differences here, where if you go to an exclusive nursery school, even if you go to kindergarten, adult in school, you still pay over $53,000 a year. Whereas a daycare worker in an average daycare gets about $17 an hour and gets about $30,000 a year, which is not really enough to live on unless live with a child. I remember when I was a supervisor of childcare in the city of New Haven, Connecticut, next to the phone, there was a list of people's names and the salaries you were supposed to cite if anyone called and asked about their salaries because their salaries were so low, they'd never get any credit if they told the truth. So what you were supposed to say after each person's name, just so that they could get a credit card or get a rental and be trusted to pay. That's how bad those salaries were. And therefore, Biden's initiative is a really important initiative in raising consciousness. Where it falls down, unlike the initiatives in New Zealand, which are already in operation, is that it's an initiative to be realized over 15 years. I don't think Biden will live for another 15 years, and he'll certainly not be president for 15 years, and God knows who will be coming after him and handling this. Also, Jacinda Ardern's initiatives are coming from an economy in which 85% of the business community has 20 employees or less. It's a small business community and it's a socialist economy. And she did not come in and win by a narrow percentage. She won, in a, she won by 72% of the vote and is wildly popular and they are a social, socialistic and socialist nation, which we are not. And for example, When Ardern said, we have to care for each other, there is a pandemic. Way back when she learned in 2019 that there was going to be a pandemic, the borders shut down. Any New Zealander Zealander who wanted to return home had to have a two-week period in which she was quarantined. And they are very strict. You could not go out for non-essential errands and they obeyed. There was no group thinking freedom was not wearing a mask and doing whatever you wanted in the street. And they shut the place down and they have no new COVID cases and have had a death of 25 people, a death toll of 25 people, whereas the United States has the highest death toll in the world at 560 million people. So they are a very different place. However, The problems with what Biden has done is not only that he says it takes 15 years, but he plugs this into a capitalist economy rather than that these are the kind of government initiatives that the government provided during World War II when they had more excellent government daycares than they do now, paid for by the federal government to get women to work so because men were overseas. And that is what would work. That's what worked with all of FDR's program. Even though he bought materials for the Civilian Conservation Corps from 
from construction companies and so on, people were paid by the government. They were paid by higher taxes levied on the wealthy of 96.8%. And if we are going to plug all these jobs back into the capitalist system, one thing that will be crucial will be capitalist profit because it doesn't really pay for capitalists to go in business unless he, she, or they are making a profit. So that I fear that this will result in franchises like Kentucky Fried Children, where people go into daycare, which looks like it's meeting the requirements, whereas but people are not being treated properly and are not getting sufficient salaries because things are fudged. Because one of the problems when you plug things into a capitalist profit structure is the very nature of capitalism, not because it's evil, but that's the way it runs. Whether it's evil or not is a whole other question. Is it doesn't pay to hire anyone unless they're making more off of that person than they pay them. Why be in business if you're not making a profit? So if you're plugging all these services into a profit system, there's going to be trouble. And that's what worries me about this infrastructure caring economy plan that Biden suggests. It is an amazing idea. It's a crucial idea. It puts women's traditional labor and the majority labor of people of color in this country who are generally the home health aides, the nurses aides, the daycare workers, the after school workers, the attendants in the parks. It puts them as essential workers who need to be well paid. And that's very, very important. On the other hand, Establishing an infrastructure that does this with the federal money without siphoning a huge portion off to private profit is a big problem. So we have a promise and also some problems here. And that's what I think we should all look at when we look at this infrastructure plan. The revolutionary aspects of recognizing what has been traditionally the labor of women and people of color and valorizing them, making it valuable, making those well-paid jobs. And on the other hand, plugging them into a capitalist system, which will make a profit off of them and be scary. So the government is paying so we all can get our COVID vaccinations, which is really important, but the drug companies who are now saying we need a booster shot in about a year, is saying, okay, the government subsidized those, after which the price and has negotiated a halfway reasonable price. But after that, the price goes up, as it does with most American medicine, which is the most expensive medical attention in the world, and also not the best, because profit doesn't ensure the best service. It just ensures that somebody's making money. So those are my concerns, and those are also my endorsements of this plan. Let me let me see if I got this right, Harriet, because I 
I've still this week I've been trying to wrap my head around this, and I think it's a brilliant. It's a well, you have a, a lot of brilliant insights and ideas around this, and I'm I feel like I'm catching up to you a little bit. Mm-hmm. But to clarify, it seems like the two maybe there's more than two, but the two major concerns you have about the infrastructure bill even though it does include some sort of caring economy elements. One is the 15-year piece. Like you said, Biden could be dead. He could, I mean, he's certainly not going to be an off. I mean, maybe he will, but we could have Trump 2.0 or something. And they'd, you know, mm-hmm. just reverse the entire thing, yeah. right? Um, like gut the entire program and just throw all the money into Wall Street to let them, you know, oil and wars and, I don't know, gambling with our, our money. So there's that piece. And then the other piece, you're kind of touching on just the level of disparity that already exists within aspects of the current carrying economy. Mm-hmm. Like in hospitals, you're kind of saying, you know, physicians, psychiatrists, um, these traditionally male, um, like there's there's aspects of the carrying economy that we've already kind of skewed towards some people get paid exorbitant, like almost like rich people, crazy amount of money. And then some people are living on starvation wages within a single hospital or Mm-hmm. Or other, um, and I don't really know um, Sarah, Sarah, who came on to the last one, who talked about her experience as a childcare worker. She was this was one of the main things that got her fired up about a yeah. child childcare for all program because as a childcare worker herself, she was saying that herself, she and um, everyone that was working in childcare, they were like undertrained. They were they were getting paid minimum wage, you know. So um, I haven't done extensive research on this, but you're kind of saying that what would make more sense is if, if this bill or some modified bill or something could really expedite the process, like let's not, let's not put a 15-year mark on it. That's just way too unrealistic. And, and maybe to build some sort of, um, just to build fairness into the wage disparities. Um, mm-hmm. but, and I, so sort of follow-up question for that is, because with the PRO Act going around, and I've, I've actually seen a lot of debate just in part because I'm part of the IWW and, and the Wobblies, mm-hmm. as as much as you know, they slash we are still a small uh, a small contingency, you know, like, like 2021 IWW is very different than 1921 mm-hmm. IWW. But critiques of the way that the quote-unquote business union world has been operating, and, and so there's big critiques of the PRO Act. But I kind of wonder if you think that there would be some way like if you if you could somehow incentivize um, unionized or or worker yes. co-op worker cooperative I don't know what the term what the verb would be yeah. cooperative just incentivizing worker cooperatives a more sort of solidarity economy within the caring economy and sorry for the jargon everyone if you're not following that um, just solidarity economy is sometimes a phrase used for an economy that would be based where there'd be sort of like worker uh, basically democracy would be. Um, present within all aspects of an economy is what solidarity economy means. But to kind of build that in somehow, and I guess this is maybe just because I'm not a policy wonk myself, I, I have a hard time conceptualizing what that would look like in terms of the the policy language because just a little bit of the influence I, I've had in the union organizing world is that stuff really has to come from the bottom and maybe not in every case, right, where you don't we don't need to like romanticize this idea every single childcare worker and nurse aide and stuff they're all you know threatening to go on strike and then biden acts right i mean that's just sometimes mm-hmm. how it works but i wonder like from the top down what it would look like if you would just put um i'm just kind of brainstorming now but like 
wage ratios from the top, you know, like the top paid hospital worker mm-hmm. can't get paid three times, five times, 10 times right. more than the bottom wage worker. But I know, but the, the, the trouble with that again is like, if that is something that comes from the top, this is sometimes my concern with this kind of stuff is what if some people at the bottom actually don't even want, they don't even think that's a good idea. And then they fight back, which is why I know in Mondragon, for example, throughout their entire network of cooperatives in some like, cause there, it's not just a cooperative. When people talk about Mondragon in, in Spain. It's not just a cooperative. It's like a network of many cooperatives. Well, there's like a, four of them, I think. Right. But they all have different, they all have, to my knowledge, they all have wage ratios from top to bottom, but they all have voted on what they think they should be differently. So there, I, I understand that there's like two to one ratios in some, and there's 10 to 10 to one ratios in some. Well, I right? think the maximum they have, a maximum, just like in many countries, they not only have a minimum wage, they also have a maximum wage. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the maximum as of last year when I looked at it was no person in any co-op or the management that's elected can get more than eight times the salary of right. the person in the co-op. But I think that's different. I think different co-ops actually have different ratios. Like when you say eight yeah. times, I think some is eight, that some is, is 10, maximum. some is like eight or eight. Eight may be the highest, actually, yes, but I think there's there's maximum. there's a there's a couple of them where they're saying no, like you can't get twice or three times as much as us, that kind of thing. Yes. But I think it's but the, the 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 structure, the internal structure. This is kind of like the the conundrum I kind of see with this, is that if we don't have the internal structures of democracy within our workplaces anyway, and if we still have such a repressive, um, if if employers are still if, if they're still ultimately given the ultimate power, like almost like these little mini dictators within the workplaces and workers don't really don't have huge incentives to unionize or form councils or, you know, whatever, some kind of democratic internal like substructure, or if it's not built into the DNA of the, of the, uh, the workplace that this, you know, I, I guess you, you either have to change that structurally somehow. I don't know mm-hmm. if it needs to come from the top or the bottom or a blend of both or, you know, does Biden just need like like would you, you know, would you just with the stroke of a pen you change something in the infrastructure bill that says something like, uh, you know, the hospitals and the nurse care centers and stuff get the extra money if they change their internal structures or something? You know, I mean, maybe you well, could that do would that. Be very but, helpful if they did. Yeah, I, mean, I don't know. Is into that is one of the reasons yeah. that people want a cooperative economy is because they want democracy. And it's not democracy if the right. employer can take away your livelihood. It's a class right. system of employers and employees. And right. unless employees have something to say about their work, then the conditions can are dictated, and that is not democratic. I don't think he's going to go that far, although I do think it would be helpful. Now, right. in some countries, like in the union movement in France and Germany, union leaders are elected, but nobody's allowed to get more than the highest paid member of his union. Right. Well, if you're in a union where the highest paid worker gets $20 an hour, that's all you can get, mm-hmm. which I think is perfectly fair and allows you to represent people on the basis of your experience. Right. Um, I, I think that is more ambitious than this bill is. And I think the bill, or at least the plan, it's not even a bill yet, but the plan, greatness 
is in valuing that labor. Because as you said so correctly and eloquently in the beginning, Max, um, what we value is the stock market and 86% of the stocks are owned by 10% of the people. And the government has printed a wild amount of money lately. And inflation isn't terrible anywhere except the stock market because those people got the money and they invested in the stock market and make even more for themselves. And stock transactions aren't taxed, so they also, until those stocks are finally sold, as your profits rise and your property increases, it's not like a house if your property increases in value, your taxes increase. Nope, that doesn't increase at all. So we we have this distribution up in the last 30 years in the United States. So we let the top get so much more. Now, that is not addressed in any other way but verbally in Biden's proposal. But he does say that the salaries have to be commensurate with the work and they cannot be undervalued as they are now. What Jacinda Ardern did, which you can tell I have a bit of crush on her, is that she took jobs like um, daycare personnel, home health aides for the elderly, and took the skills, which is dealing with people who are sometimes violent, sometimes emotionally very disturbed, sometimes requiring physical assistance, like not able to get up or whatever. And she found jobs within the male well-paid economy that use the same skills. And so that now nursing home attendants and home health care aides get the same as prison guards who have occasionally violent prisoners, people who collapse, people who they need to physically intervene in and are very well paid compared to nursing home attendants and home health care aides. So what she did was isolate the skills used and then found jobs that used those skills in the regular economy and applied their salaries to people in a caring economy. That's something we could do. What Biden has done is he's introduced an idea which is a good idea. He's introduced it in a way that's difficult because in 15 years he will be um, 89 and probably not present and maybe not present at all. So um, that's a bit unrealistic. And so is what is plugged in to the capitalist system. What is the requirement in terms of other economic forms We're working for the government, which was already a precedent set during World War II with the child care centers and other services provided by the government of FDR and the New Deal. But this is an exciting thing. It's an exciting thing because women and people of color and all the people who have worked in domestic jobs, in caring jobs, including mothers, are recognized for their labor. When it was announced what their salaries, how their salaries would be increased, the social workers who mainly work for the government of New Zealand 
were overwhelmed. Some of them burst out crying. And they said, it's not only because of the money. It's because somebody sees what we do. Because one of the skills they had was versatile and attentive listening, which is a skill nobody talked about. But it's needed for a parent. It's needed for a therapist. It's needed for a nurse. And it's invisible because it wasn't even mentioned before. So that we have this vocabulary of caring, which is very important. You know, it's funny when I think of the five or so years I worked at the uh, child uh, child trauma clinic. Um, there, it actually took me a while. I think my own socialization as a as a dude who must be very productive and competitive and stuff that it was really hard for me to wrap my head around non directive play therapy with kids as one of the most effective ways of helping to treat trauma and other kinds of mm. issues. And for to for people to wrap their heads around the notion, and it, it's I think it's taken me a while because I've been I've been really wrestling with this question of like what as therapists and as as all kinds of this work like what how how do we understand like when we really think about how capitalism works and what this sort of socialist utopia is that we presumably want like what really is our role here and what do we do that is of such value in everything and to to explain to someone that like a um, a construction worker and someone that just plays with kids all day mm. that they that they both have relatively equal value to the economy is actually a bit hard to to explain to I think a lot of I mean maybe maybe women I mean maybe mothers would just get it more easily yeah. or, I don't know people, people that like you know nurture children regularly whoever they are might just sort of intuitively get that yeah but like it's it's hard, I think, in the because it's not just like a masculinity. It's just it's just the hegemony of you know it's just the way our system works. That it, it it is hard, generally speaking, for people to understand that like playing with kids, teaching kids, um, I mean, doing elder care for like older folks. For I mean, all of these things are they're reflections of what we value in society. And so the wages that uh, that that go to you know the different kinds of work reflects what the overall society values, right? And it's and this isn't I think the the other piece here maybe for listeners to like when when those of us who are in the you know quote unquote socialist or identity you know we're at socialism adjacent or whatever, when we talk about democratizing this or that, we kind of, if you really think about it, I mean, do ha, has has American society democratically decided that a, a nurse aide should be living on food stamps and a physician or a psychiatrist should have like four houses and a yacht, yeah. right? Was that democratically decided, right? I mean, there's the, there's some arguments that, well, oh, well, you know, this person can do brain surgery at three in the morning because they're on call. That's, a, that's obviously a lot more important. Like, yeah, it's obviously mm-hmm. very important. But like, if the work that the nurse aide is doing is important to some degree, I mean, do they, should they be on food stamps? Mm-hmm. Obviously not, right? And, and like, should that disparity, I mean, should we say that the people in society we want to do brain surgery it's so important that they should have an excess amount of wealth that that kind of hogs it so that others can't have nearly as much wealth. It just doesn't make any like actual logical sense. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any like compassionate sense, right? Like just from a mm-hmm. heart, like a human heart to heart level, like what do we value? What do we care about as people? It doesn't make any sense, right? Um, Even though they need more training, needs more, you need more training mm-hmm. to be a surgeon, 
But if the orderly isn't there cleaning up, your patient's going to die of an infection. So they right. well, you have more training, but it's not more important. Well, and you know that concept that I think I think most ordinary people, whether you identify as a leftist or not, like this phrase of "to each their ability, to each their their need." If you are smart enough, if you were just either born with it or you were socially you had the access to the the resources needed to become somebody who can like cut into a human brain and like you know how to take the you know if you if you were able to do that, it doesn't necessarily mean that you as an individual or the work that you do is a hundred times more valuable. Mm-hmm than someone else, it means that in service, I guess in my view, in service of society's needs, not your individual needs, sorry, Mm -hmm. but in service of society's needs, some of the skills that you were able to cultivate got you to the point where you're able to do stuff like brain surgery. Or if you're a psychiatrist that you can slot people's problems into the DSM really well, explain Mm -hmm. it in fancy terms, and then give them pills. It doesn't actually mean that you are that much more valuable as a human being than other people. And so your wages shouldn't reflect that. And this isn't like an attack on say like doctors and psychiatrists, you know, that we could go down the line. We could actually just get like a spreadsheet, you know, like look at all, okay, here's all the really high paying quote unquote caring jobs and here are the, <clears throat> the lower paying ones. But it just, the disparity level just is actually obscene and doesn't make yes. any sense. But then aside, aside from that, cause yeah, the other thing before we started recording, when you mentioned the stock market stuff, because I think this is this is a missing piece too, where like, and I wish I understood economics a bit better to wrap my head around exactly how this works. But when you think of just the whole, so the the phrase capital accumulation, and people that aren't like Marxian whatever nerds, just this idea of like money that just flows up and up and up and up and up, and the whole point of it within this, if you're at the very top of the system and it's like you're just pulling like this conveyor belt, you just pull it up and up and up and up. The people at the tippy top, they just kind of gamble with it, right? These little they have these, so these, much. What do they have to worry? It's, you know, either through, if you just think of every time the ATM charges you a couple bucks or the, the card you put in the thing at the grocery store or the, the, um, the interest on the debts and, and all just all this crap, right? Like that whole system that flows up and then they gamble with it into just, oh, we think this industry is going to do a little bit better. Let's throw some money into that. Okay, let's take that, that, that process too, right? Because those, the kinds, the kind of work that goes into that, which is increasingly just run by artificial intelligence programs mm-hmm. at this point. And then, you know, a handful of like guys in suits still typically, they're just like, oh, let's do, let's press that button on the screen or whatever, that that's still the most highly incentivized work in, in the global economy, like not just in the U S in on planet earth, that's the most highly valued work. And it's, it's like kind of the most useless work you could possibly imagine, right? It doesn't actually, it, it doesn't provide any value to anyone's life. Um, if somehow it could be arranged to where like you could only do this on, you know, maybe a different value system, maybe you could, you could fix it or something. But, but that's, I think the other missing piece with the Biden thing is that if you don't figure out some way to like chip from the top, like, I don't know if it, there's all these different debates on it. Should it all just go toward UBI? Should we just have like 90, 95% tax rates and stuff, but continue, but allow capitalism structures to continue? I mean, you know, there's all these important debates about it. But if you don't have some sort of capital controls that like limit what people are able to do from those jobs, every every other thing that we try to do in terms of reformist policies, there's going to be something down the line that like messes it up. You know, If if those people are still allowed to do that and if they're the most highly incentivized workers. Also, there is something we have to realize that in our country, 
after the New Deal and after FDI, FDR died and Truman replaced him, the corporations who were very angry at that 96.8% tax have been working to dismantle the New Deal and using mm. their money and right. their property ever since because you don't really have that much change if you leave all the money in the hands of the people who had it before or most of the money. The wealth, they got taxed not on the wealth they already had, but on what they were making. Mm. And I remember Adam Hochschild giving a talk on slavery and um, because he wrote that Break the Chains book about the abolition movement. But he talked about how in the Caribbean, they compensated the slave owners for the slaves that they could no longer have, helping them keep their money so well that they could just buy the rest of the economy and the politicians. You would have to have really stringent control of who has what and whether they can buy the rest of the system. Mm. Now, America is particularly a problem in that because it's the best democracy money can buy. Although there's cheating, you're not allowed to have private money in any of the Scandinavian elections or the German election or the French election. Mm -hmm. So you can't have multi-billion dollar races in which people have to pay back the piper who called the tune, you know? Right. And so that that would have to change. And so that everything one does within this structure of reallocation to the top is going to be tainted. Don't forget in... in 1970, the United States was the most egalitarian, the most economically equal country in the whole developed world of all the 30 more developed nations. Now we are the least. Whoa, big allocation up as businesses outsourced and as our union movement didn't have the power or the muscle or the connection or the leftists to outlaw outsourcing the way they've done all over other countries. Mm -hmm. Then they left, made even more money, brought it back and bought up the political system. Mm -hmm. And then the money, they changed the tax structure. So they pay so much less than they used to. And what they did when people needed money was they issued credit cards and got interest off the average person who tried to catch up. So it all was a systemic issue. Meanwhile, people feel powerless. The mental health effects mm -hmm. of this pandemic are devastating. Mm -hmm. Suicides are up almost 30%. Homicides just in New York City are up 36 point something percent. Mm -hmm. Divorces are up. Child abuse is up. Domestic abuse is up. Addiction is up. People are abandoned. Mm -hmm. They need support. They need a supportive government. And they don't have it. And what this infrastructure plan that Biden has supports a lot of the labor which keeps people sane. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. keeps people nonviolent. And, uh, you know, this, because it comes full circle when we talk, when we get into the political system and the role of government stuff in that, because maybe just to, um, been trying to like make the links easier recently and like, mm-hmm. well, what does this have to do with mental health? I'm going to use like a, you know, non-identifiable brief client story of somebody right now I'm working with who um, kids have been taken by child welfare services due to some, some things that have to do with uh, someone else in their life. Lots of background with a uh, criminal justice system. And if you kind of trace this person's life, this mother, of how she ended up where she is, and and you understand the history of the last 50 years in the United States, you can kind of see, because like she meets criteria for like a lot of stuff in the, D, the DSM. I mean, I'd say primarily PTSD. But like, why is this individual person or why any individual person you can think of, like a mom that's really struggling, they can't, they can't not be addicted. They can't, you know, they they just got their kids taken away or this thing or that thing. Well, on some le- so a lot of women in the, and mothers in these situations, the jobs aren't there. Sometimes there's a guy that they can find that sort of they quote unquote fall in love with, but like he has a slightly less shitty job and now she moves in with him. And actually it kind of turns out that the guy had some issues and he's either beating and sometimes molesting. I mean, I'm sorry to get into this, but this is like a lot of people I work with. And, and, but you have to understand the economic context for this, right? If you keep thinking like, well, where, like at what point, how would this, how would this like not happen? Mm -hmm. If, if the basic foundational economic security for this person I'm talking about, the other person that they had, they basically, they're almost forced to have to associate with, which resulted in severe trauma to the kids, which resulted with the kids getting taken away, right? Struggling for housing, struggling for jobs, almost forced, I wouldn't say 100%, but strongly incentivized to engage in this sort of the black market economy, right? In, in illegal things, to break the laws that the government enforces, right? Incentivized by the lack of economic opportunities to engage in those kinds of things resulting in more jail time and then parole and more trauma there, right? And then also becoming a a cheap source of labor uh, within the prison system and the incarceration system for big corporations to keep moving that money up, right? You can kind of see where at some, so at what point, what do you do? Right. And it's not, this is also a challenge to sort of the, the like sort of very online leftist that I feel like I'm just starting to get more and more angry about of people that are just sort of clicking stuff or commenting or that, you know, the algorithms jump in. We don't need more necessarily more awareness. There's a lot of, I mean, we need more awareness and class consciousness and everything, but, but we really need like fully engaged, like people that are saying, what can I do today? Like waking up in the morning and like, how do I get engaged today? Like how do, how do I, I get engaged in a group or an organization or something to really um, shift things? You know, whether it's a union, it's kind of broken record. We've talked about this like union or some, some kind of like labor thing or a, whether it's the DSA, whatever your kind of thing is, because we really do need, you know, the, the, like you said, Harriet, the Biden bill thing, it is, it is actually really, it's like surprisingly, far better than I think um, a lot of, of the, say the Bernie crowd would have expected from Biden yes. now, you know, I, I think like, um, and, and, and I have to say, I don't, I don't think it's a coincidence that the sort of like socialism push from the left within the political sphere, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that Biden's doing this. I think he's, he was, he was forced into actually making some good decisions, um, but not all of it's going to come from the top. And we, we really need like really a really engaged, um, you know, mass constituency of people 
working on this stuff because it, it 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 actually this isn't just like abstract conceptual stuff it trickles down into people's lives of people getting their kids taken away by cws um mass incarceration all the kind of hot topic um kind of big problems that we talk about you know police brutality it's all connected to a lack of a caring economy right Absolutely. it's it's, it's, a, it's an, an economy that 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 incentivizes like just absolutely brutal treatment of ordinary people and traumatization of, of them and their children because these yep. are all psychological traumas that are not just in these people's heads if you hook up with somebody because you're economically desperate and he turns out to beat you the beating is not right. in your head and you right. have very difficult economic decisions about your own survival so that you have a mass of people struggling to survive and you have 10 percent making huge money on the stock market. There are 60 billionaires in the United States. No, there's not 660, I'm sorry. And you can, if you left them with only 1 billion each or 500 million each and used the rest actually fairly, you could transform people's lives. And if you required reasonable salaries and had taxation, you could transform people's lives. So for example, the United States has seven times more crime than the next advanced country level. We're way out there. And a place like Denmark has a minimum wage of $24 an hour. That's what McDonald's workers are paid in Denmark and McDonald's is still making money. I mean, you have some kind of reasonable maximum wealth and maximum wage just like you should have a reasonable minimum wage. Other countries have maximum wages. For example, in the health system, no surgeon, no matter the most fancy uh, neurological surgeon in France, can get more than $500,000 a year, which is a lot. But not millions, while everyone else is getting peanuts. With yeah. Support staff that allows that surgeon to function. He's sitting then, on the shoulders of everyone underneath him. You know, something that I, this is getting a little bit in the weeds, but it's, it's worth, if anybody listening, <clears throat> especially if you're in the mental health field, if this, if this seems relatable and you want us to talk about it more, something I actually struggled with a lot at the clinic I was at was that, you know, so I had the, I didn't have the L next to my MFT. I wasn't yet licensed. Now that I'm licensed, mm-hmm. you know, they give you a pay bump when you get the L, but one thing that so there was, um, I mean the only uh, the only black clinician we had there was um, what do they call it para professional. <clears throat> it's sort of like you get it you you you're, you get it you have a bachelor's degree and then you do a couple trainings or something and you can do kind of like behavioral work contracted with the county and stuff. But they 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 have you at a, a significantly lower wage yeah. than those who get the master's degree like I did. And, you know, it's not a coincidence. I'm just bringing up that he's black is right. It's like not a coincidence kind of thing right. where, um, you know, and he'd been there long. I would say in some ways he probably compared to me in some ways, he probably was a lot more skilled and compared to some of the people that actually were licensed, I would say he was more skilled in, in some cases. And, um, and that's not to say, so I guess, I guess the thing that I struggle with a little bit just to, to say it is how do we actually determine like once you get to that kind of stuff, right? Like this person has a bachelor versus a master's, more training, less training, more certifications or licenses, because this is a bigger um, can of worms into like the professionalism. Like, how do we really 
make those determinations. <clears throat> and I think there are some good ways to do it. And I'm not totally certain, but I felt really bad because at a certain point he, um, he hit a sort of ceiling of the raises he could get. <clears throat> and I was looking at his work versus mine. And I was like, why do I get paid so much more than him? Um, right, and it wasn't, it wasn't extreme. It's not like I got paid three. I mean, it was like less than a hundred percent. It was like 20 or maybe 20 or 30% more or something. Maybe that is fair, but um, that, that's just, that's another thing where I, I guess, cause my view would be if we built more, more workplace democracy into workplaces mm -hmm. versus like regulatory bodies or whatever, the government just sort of unilaterally deciding, I think you could negotiate those kinds of things and see what's most fair. But I, I also don't, don't have a perfect answer to that. But it, what it does is it says, okay, what about apprenticeships? Shouldn't they be counted in? Shouldn't experience be counted in? Should the only wage um, determinant be level of education? Experience yeah, right. should count. And also ways to be educated should be offered so that people who are working and want to get a more advanced degree have a yeah. way to do that. In most advanced countries like Germany, you know, France and so on, Scandinavia. Right. Education is free. Higher education right. is free. So right. you have to do the work, you have to go to the classes, you have to do the assignments, you have to write the papers, but it's free. You don't have to pay right. for it. And so, right. of course, there should be more ways to advance yourself educationally and also give them credit for your experience, so, which counts so, so much. Well, this would be that's well, that's a really good point because then for the for this the infrastructure bill again, I haven't actually even read it. I just I was going off of your just to be totally honest with everybody. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so I don't know if this is in there, but like another piece that you might want to throw in there is, um, I mean, again, because Biden's not going to go full full tuition free federally anytime soon. I mean, we're, you know, maybe we'll see what happens with the student loan forgiveness stuff, but like maybe there's some incentives you could throw in there, like super, super discounted or subsidized um, tuition right now. I, f I feel like I'm sounding like such a cop out now. I'm like, let's just, let's just go with the tiny reforms. But for things like um, anything that is considered within caring economy work, right? So that somebody that is, if they are currently a paraprofessional and they did sort of some minimum stuff, to get there, but when they look at how expensive it would be to get the masters, they say, "I'm not going to do that." They suddenly, like, well, now they can, right? So that they are more highly skilled. If I mean, presuming that's what a master's degree in like psychology gets you, which I mean, I just I feel like that should be debated. But um, but now, but now you've actually passed the mark to where um, you do deserve higher pay, I guess, if that's the system we're going with, right? And but it didn't it didn't cost you to be able to to climb that economic ladder a little bit That's right. it was it was just there for you as an incentive and if you were able to pass the classes and get good grades and pass the licensing exams then you do get you know your wages reflect that you do actually have a higher degree of knowledge and expertise right that's right um, and but the bar the, but the barrier isn't there for you due to a socioeconomic or like historically you know racist or sexist uh you know, set of laws that came before you 50 to 100 years That's ago. Right. And I also think you should have what they have in medicine for hospitals is they have peer review. They have people coming and reviewing your work and your performance as a hospital because they're educated, recognized people in that field. And you could have people recognize people's 
other people's work and review people's work rather than just look at their educational attainments, that experience and also evaluation, performance evaluation from an outside group that can't be corrupted by whatever politics there are in that group. But I know that peer review is a very big thing in terms of medical schools, and I think it's a good idea. There are a lot of ways, if you had the will, to actually look at the class barriers that keep people from being paid decently, you would have a very different kind of pay scale. And you'd have maximum wages as well as minimum wages and wages and apprenticeships and ways to evaluate people's work. Because just because you have an advanced degree doesn't mean you're good at what you do. We all know that. And so that the idea is we have to stop this system with its interlocking parts that don't recognize class. They barely recognize race or gender, although those things are certainly being more emphasized by the Biden administration, but class is not. And capitalism requires a class differential so that you could exploit people who have nowhere to go except to work for you. And those things are crucial for mental health. Mm-hmm. What Max and I are saying is it's so related. We can't say it's just in your head because your head is full mm-hmm. of the society and all the forces <laughs> in it and all right. the forces on you. Right. And um, I know we're going we're gonna to close out in a minute, but I, I want to just also throw in there that the democratization of individual workplaces and industries and the economy generally is probably a lot better for people's mental health. Like even if you got this great infrastructure bill and everything, but you still had a relatively authoritarian or, I mean, there's other ways to describe it, but if, you know, imagine a workplace or just a society where you, you, you and the workers elect your managers and then you can fire them or you can, you can recall them instead of the managers were appointed by two of two other layers above you and that they are determining what the wages are and what the wage disparities are. Imagine you and your coworkers. I know for some people that sounds oh, well, that sounds like a lot of meetings or that now we have to get into debates on things that might hurt my feelings or something. Well, imagine a society where like, you know, we all were a little bit more skilled in this. Like we can engage in some debates and we can propose some policies at work and we say, well, we think this person should be elected manager then they should get paid 20% more than us because it's actually more, it's more like uh, annoying work or something like that. And then, and then if everybody actually felt a little bit better with each other because they, they knew that they were equals, whether it were construction jobs or house cleaning or elder care or being a therapist in a clinic or um, any, any number, any, you know, any kind of domestic labor, any kind of work, right? And I think that's, that's the overall for anyone who's ever listened and been like, well, I don't know about this whole socialism thing. It's kind of like all we're talking about is just like this hyper-democratized economy So that the people that actually do the work that is presumably valuable to society actually gets a say Mm -hmm. in what the work is, et cetera, and how how it's done. And and they get to actually voice what they think is fair. And if we did have that kind of economy, you know, it wouldn't be a perfect utopia, but it'd be a hell of a lot better than this would be. And I would bet, I mean, every penny of money that I have that everybody's quote unquote mental health symptoms would be severely diminished to the point where there'd be a lot more joy 
and um, yes. and compassion, better relationships, and people enjoying their free time more. That's so. totally true. There's a <laughs> there book called The Spirit Level that goes over that. Right, that shows right. the inequality creates mental illness and social despair and distress. Is that so, Gabor Mate, Spirit Level, or no? No, it's by Wilkinson and Kate Pickett and Richard Wilkinson. Okay, I keep hearing it. I still haven't read that book. book. Anywho, anywho, should we close out for... I think we need to because we're out yeah. of time. Yeah. And thank you all so much for listening and participating. Yeah, thank, thank you, everybody. Um, if you want to if you want to support the pot, yeah. If you sorry, if you want to support the podcast, um, also you know to join the reading group. Also, if you want to let us know if you think the reading group being patron patrons only is a is like against our values or something. Um, I you know we're open to that. Think of alternatives time. for our patrons. We really think of alternatives. Patrons. Yeah, I don't know, maybe different layers or something. Um, but yeah, so if you want to become a patron, um, support the podcast, and join our now uh, hopefully regularly recurring reading groups, just go to patreon.com slash um, it's not just in your head. And if you want to send us any thoughts, feedback, reflections on this episode or any other episode, or just just say hi, uh, give us any feedback of any kind, email us at it's not just in your head at gmail.com. By the way, listeners, if you have enjoyed anything you've heard Harriet say in this program, you will definitely enjoy Capitalism Hits Home, which is a solo program that Harriet does through Democracy at Work, which is a worker-owned cooperative that produces other great programs such as Economic Update with Richard Wolff and the Anti-Capitalist Chronicles with David Harvey. I can't recommend enough that everyone also listen to Capitalism Hits Home if you enjoy It's Not Just in Your Head. Capitalism Hits Home is a sort of broader overhead view. It explores the way that capitalism shapes our personal lives, our psyches, our relationships, our families, and it looks particularly at the sea change in American personal life as all Americans, but the top 10 or 20 percent of Americans, have our security and our chance for a future become as precarious as it always was for minorities and families headed by women. It's not just in your head and capitalism hits home are definitely complimentary. And if listeners would like to check out Capitalism Hits Home, Harriet, where should they go to find it? Either on YouTube or Democracy at Work or on my own website, harrietfraud.com.